When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey folks, it's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday. Thank you so much for being here, listening, downloading, uh, subscribing, however you connect, however you get the podcast every week. Thank you for doing so, and I hope your week is going well. Two interviews for you this week. We will have Gilby Clark, former Guns N' Roses guitarist, to start things off. And we'll follow with another guitarist, Damon Johnson. Damon, who's played with everybody from Alice Cooper to Thin Lizzy to Black Star Riders, currently has a solo career. And on the the interview with Damon, he is joined by producer Nick Raskulinitz, who not only produced Damon's new album, Battle Lessons, but also has done a ton of rock records and is currently making a new album with Skid Row. So Damon and Nick together uh, in the second hour, and we'll lead this week with Gilby Clark talking about his just-released new solo album. He'll get us started, and we talk a little GNR and some other fun stuff as well. Great to visit with both of these guys, both really, really good, uh, well-known, uh, well-accomplished singers, guitar players, songwriters, and they will make a good double-dip podcast. Again, start with Gilby in just a few minutes. And we'll follow with Damon Johnson this week. However, before we continue with interviews or anything, very, very important news and announcement for you this week. So pay close attention here on the podcast. This will be the final week of this podcast being delivered and produced by Podcast One. Uh, This podcast, beginning with next week's episode, will be transitioning to Sirius XM and Stitcher as the new platform for this podcast. Now, that really won't mean and shouldn't mean a whole lot to any of you folks unless you are somebody that usually listens to this podcast and accesses it through the Podcast One platform or through their site or you know through their distribution like 
at podcastone.com or on their app. If you are one of those folks starting next week, uh, this podcast will no longer be on that platform. However, it will continue to be free and available to you every Thursday with new episodes from Apple, Spotify, now available on Pandora, Stitcher, and for subscribers available on SiriusXM as well. However, listen closely. Do not fear. The Eddie Trunk podcast remains totally free. However, to access it through SiriusXM and their app, you have to be a subscriber. Otherwise, just go anywhere you get podcasts, with the exception of Podcast One starting next week in order to hear it every week. So again, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Pandora, or if you're a subscriber, the SiriusXM app, still a ton of ways to get this free each and every week. The only thing that's changing is that it'll no longer be produced by Podcast One, therefore it will not be on their direct platform. But all the other outlets remain free, and you can add to that other places to get it, including Stitcher and Pandora, starting next week. I want to thank the entire team at Podcast One who have produced this podcast since it first began, which I don't even remember how long ago it began. I, I think it's, pro I mean, it's got to be five to seven years easily that I've been doing this for you through them. I remember signing up with them a long, long time ago. I believe it was, it was uh, Greg Batuzic who signed me up. At the time, it was Chris Jericho who was doing his podcast at Podcast One and recommended me. And, uh, you know, there, and I want to be clear about this. I am not moving this podcast for any other reason, but this, as I've said to you every week for the past three weeks or uh, three years or so, the interviews you hear on this podcast originate on my Sirius XM radio show. Well, Sirius XM purchased the podcast company Stitcher and they are now in in uh in ownership of that company and they are now bigger into the podcasting world and are getting more and more into it. So since I already do my radio show every day on Sirius XM and I am a full-time employee of that company, it made a lot of sense as it you would imagine considering the interviews you hear were originating on that show that ultimately now that they are in the podcasting game that this interview would also move to them. So that's the only reason why I have no issue at all with podcast one. You never know what the future holds. Uh, great people, great company. We, we had a great relationship. There's no falling out. There's no grievance. There's nothing like that. This was just simply a case of synergy and putting this piece of my weekly uh, broadcast schedule under the same umbrella as where I'm already currently doing six radio shows a week. So that's the only thing to let you guys know. Nothing is going to be impacted. It's the same thing. We're going to bring you great interviews every week. We may even have some improved stuff happening because now that this will be under the umbrella where the interviews were coming from anyway, um, perhaps that's going to lead to some new opportunities here on the podcast as well. We'll see how it goes. So please note that this is only of importance if you are currently accessing this podcast through podcast1.com or through their app. 
Everybody else, if you're always getting it on Apple, you'll continue. If you're always getting it on Spotify, that'll continue. It'll now also be available through Pandora, Stitcher, and available on the SiriusXM app. But only there is where you need to be a SiriusXM subscriber to access it. And as I say every week, I hope you do become a subscriber. I hope you do come on board if you're in the U.S. or Canada because it's going to be the same deal. As I also tell you every week, you're only getting a tiny fraction here on the podcast of what I do every day on the radio. And that will still continue to be the case because it'll this will continue to be a one-time-a-week podcast on Thursdays only and be a tiny sample of what I'm doing every day. So important to note that, and that begins starting next week. So this week is our final podcast coming to you through the Podcast One Pipeline and that will be available on podcastone.com or their app. Everything else remains the same next week. And if you do access through those pages or those platforms, just move over to Apple, Spotify, any of the other outlets. It'll remain free, and you can continue to get it that way. Also, a huge thanks to Katie Irizarry. She produces this for me every week. She has since it started. I go way, way back with Katie now. It's been many, many years since we first met, she used to work with me on my Sirius XM radio show. And since the very first podcast, all the way through till today, and this podcast, she has put together every single one of them, done an amazing job. And uh, she's been a big help to me with this podcast and in other areas uh, since we first met. And I sincerely thank her, and I certainly will miss having her a part of this podcast. Uh, we just simply, you know, don't need an outside producer anymore, given that SiriusXM is going to handle that internally in terms of putting it together. The producer of my radio show there, Joel Pollack, will just be taking this on under his wing. So that's what's going on. Big thanks to Katie. Big thanks to Podcast One. And I look forward to seeing where we go as this podcast moves over to the Stitcher SiriusXM family starting next week. Again, it remains free every week. So nothing greatly changing, but it's important for you to know what's going on. And I wanted to share it with you right at the top of the show. All right. So with all of that taken care of, we will get to our interviews coming up. Gilby Clark, followed by Damon Johnson and Nick Raskulinitz on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone had been drinking or whatever, the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One, Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back. It's Eddie Trunk. And as promised, we will get to Damon Johnson and producer Nick Raskulinitz in the second interview this week. We start with Gilby Clark, who checked in about a week ago. Gilby talked about his brand new album, which has just come out 
little Guns N' Roses stuff as well. Always great to visit with Gilby Clark. Here you go. First interview of two on the podcast. Gilby, how are you, brother? I'm great, Eddie. Always awesome to talk to you. You too, man. What are you, uh, I know you're in the studio. What are you working on there? What are you cooking? <laughs> well, I'm actually just in the studio because I have horrible cell service where I live. But uh, we're actually heading out tomorrow to do our first live shows in over a year. Oh, wow. Where are they going to be? St. Louis. We have uh, one is a, a private charity show. And um, since we were there, we decided to uh, do a live show. It'll be at the same venue. You know, it'll be limited capacity, all that kind of stuff. But uh, it'll be the first time we're playing live in front of an audience in a long time. So do you want to, can you tell the venue for people listening in that part of the country who may want to attend to the public one? It's, it's when, Saturday? It, it, no, it's so the live show is, you know, to Eddie, as we speak, I'm going to look on my, <laughs> it is at, the heck is the name of this place? People can just go to your, oh, no, no, you know, I don't know, I don't, Eddie, I, I don't have no idea where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> That's t- that's typical with most musicians. It's like they're just pointing in a direction and they go. They figure it out when they get there, right? Yeah, exactly. But the live, the the public show is Friday night. <laughs> night of rock. Boy, I have no idea where it's at. I don't, it doesn't even say on the flyer. Well, that's good. You were playing with Kings of Chaos too, right? Yeah, I love that that gig. That is my my favorite gig to do. And as the, have you guys? I imagine like all the live stuff. That's pretty much been kind of dormant for the last year or so as well yeah we actually had a lot of dates last year last summer that uh you know obviously in the beginning it got postponed then to be canceled and we're trying to get a couple of them back this year um one of them was Summerfest, and i'm sure you know what's going on with that so i'm hoping that that's gonna come back around too because it's such a fun gig and, and it's so great you know playing with guys like robin zander and d snyder and Steven Tyler, you know, Billy Gibbons, it's, it's, it's always, you know, for me, it's, it's heaven. Yeah, well, for people that don't know what, you t- uh, what Kings of Chaos is, it is this, this kind of a revolving supergroup, right? And it's Sorum, it's Sorum's thing. He anchors it, right? Absolutely, yeah. There's just been a couple core guys like myself, Matt, and actually Duff was in there for a long time before the GNR reunion, um, was kind of always the core band, Steve Stevens. But now you're right; it's a little bit more of a revolving door with pretty much Matt, you know, as the only guy that's always there. And have they talked to you, or, or has anything come up, Gilby, with some stuff starting to come back online with Kings of Chaos happening again, lining yes. things up? Yeah, yeah, we're actually talking about a couple shows coming back right now. You know, I mean, obviously they won't be until summer, fall, but. You know, they'll be, you know, kind of the Weekend Warrior stuff just to show here or there. But, you know, there's there's no string of dates yet. Yeah. Now, you're a big motorcycle guy. During this whole lockdown, uh, that was one of the few things people could do safely, is I would think get out on the open road and ride. Were you able to do a lot of that? A very lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I took so many trips during it because, like you said, you know, we're we're outside in the air. We have a helmet on and, and a shield and almost every Sunday, you know, we have a small group of guys that got together and ride. And, you know, we did a couple trips like to Arizona. And uh, I actually did Sturgis last year, too. But uh, I only stayed for like a day. But um, I definitely took some uh, some good trips. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that's one of the that was one of the really great times to be able to do that safely and to get out there and enjoy the road and, you know, 
check out from everything. It probably was a real good escape to clear your head. Yeah, and with the downtime of last year, um, I actually built a motorcycle for uh, George Lynch. Really? Yeah, <laughs> we've been talking about it for the longest time, and since I had the time, you know, I, I found what we call a donor bike, and I stripped it, and uh, George, you know, with his great ideas, he wanted a bike that looked like it had been sitting in a barn for 100 years, like all rusted out and patinaed, so it gave me some time. I mean, it took a good eight months, but, uh, you know, it definitely kept me busy, you know, during the pandemic. Is that something that you do, Gilby, and have done in the past, build bikes? Yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, obviously it's a hobby. Um, I have a nice, uh, just like I have a studio in my house, I actually have a nice garage where I actually know how to weld, and I have mills and lathes and all kinds of machinery, and I do like it. it it's definitely, it's for me, I, I always like having a hobby. You know, to just concentrate on music a hundred times, you know, would for me, would drive me insane. So it's nice to have that outlet you know, uh, the creative aspect of building the bikes, but also, like I said, I only do it really just to ride. Did you, did you deliver the bike to Lynch? Does he have it now? Oh, he has it. Yeah. If you look on his Instagram, I, maybe it was a couple months ago. Uh, I think it was before the holidays. He has a pretty funny post about it. Uh, but, and I have one on my Instagram too, but yeah, he's got it. Actually, you know, I have it right now because he's on a trip right now, a camping trip. So I have it just to, uh, work on a couple things on it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very that's very cool. So you got a record done. You know, another thing that that a lot of artists have done during the last year or so in in these insane times is since they aren't able to play live and they're not able to tour, took the time to get creative and make a record. You have a record. It comes out on Friday. It's called The Gospel Truth. Was this record made in the last year, or what was? What tell us the the arc and history of this. Well, the record's actually been done for uh, a while. Uh, It's been done for over a year. We were planning to release it about a month or two into the pandemic, and after talking to the label, they said, look, you know, just like everybody, let's hold it off and see how it goes so we can get some touring. And then just like most people, it got to a point where, you know, we just got to get it out. You know, we we have to get it out. We'll tour when we can. But uh, it's been done for a while. Um, I don't know if most people know, but, you know, I don't make a lot of solo records, but I hadn't made one since 01, so there had been a huge break between, you know, you know, 20 years for, for the most part before releasing the last record. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long either, but, but uh, wow, this it really has been. Like, what was the last one? It was, last record was Swag. Swag, right, right, right. Wow, 19 years, 20 years already on that. That's nuts. <laughs> I don't know how Where's that the, happens. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the time is going, man. That's crazy. So this, and you were in the same boat that a lot of artists were in, and we talked about this. I think when this all happened, there were a lot of artists that were like, do I hold the record Is it and wait until I can tour it and actually promote it properly? Or are people going to be looking for music and looking for things to entertain them? And is it smart to put it out in the middle of the lockdown? You, you just, and, and I think a lot of people, the same thing happened, Gilby, where they, they went with, well, let's hold it for a while. And then as this thing is dragged on longer than anyone expected, it's like, you know what? We just got to get this out because I talked to some artists who wrote already another new record without releasing their latest one. <laughs> and you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happened here. You know, it's like, you know, we're all in unknown territory. 
We really didn't know how it's going to be. But as you know, you know, there's not going to be any real touring pretty much at all this year. Maybe come fall, winter, but most people don't like to tour during the winter anyway. So, yeah, yeah. Do you have dates beyond what you're doing in St. Louis? And if you do, no. do you have anything else lined up? No, no. This is this is kind of an experiment. I just kind of want you know. Uh, most of my band have already been vaccinated, so we thought it was safe for us, you know, to travel and, like I said, do a show. But this is a little bit of an experiment. We do have a streaming show that we have already taped, but we don't have a release date for it yet. And um, I know how you feel about streaming shows, but I actually kind of like them. Well, I don't dislike them. I just think that there's a little bit of a fatigue with them that because there's been so many I just look. I've covered every one of them because I've had the artists on to promote them. So I yeah. don't dislike them, but I don't find they keep my attention beyond a few songs normally. And I because I just think there's been there there was a point where there was just so many of them that and I get it. I get it's it was a useful thing, but I just think now as stuff is starting to open up again, there's more of a of a look of a a thought of like, let's get to the real thing. But I think streaming is still going to have a place. I don't hate the streaming thing. I just think that uh, some have used it better than others. True. True. I, you know, for me, I like, I like being able to see the artist that I like in a different atmosphere, you know, whether it's live and we all know some bands when they get out there and they play live, it's the same set list over and over. And maybe the streams are too. You know, I try to take a different approach and you know, I, I, you know, we're doing songs in the stream that we've never done live. You know, so we wanted to just try something new to, like you said, hold the attention for a full hour. And you're right. It, it is hard. But, you know, as long as it's, to me, it's live, it's just an opportunity to see an artist that I really like, you know, and, and not, you know, it's a controlled environment, but it's not like a 100% controlled environment. What, which ones have you seen personally, Gilby, to, over the last year or so that you really liked? What have you watched? Um, well, when Monsters of Rock was first uh, doing them, uh, over at, uh, I believe it was Third Encore, um, I saw one with Keith St. John. I don't remember if he did Montrose or something or whatever it was, but my buddy Sean McNabb played bass, and I thought it sounded really fantastic, and, and, and it looked good. And we did a, a Monsters of Rock one, too, early on, and I don't right. think ours sounded very good. I mean, I worked hard with the guys, but I, I think as it went on, they kind of got it nailed a little bit. There was a lot of experimentation. And I did watch some of the Kiss stuff, which I did find entertaining, but I can't say I watched the whole thing. I just watched a couple songs of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's been some of them that I've liked personally a lot and some of them that's just like, okay, I'll drop in on a little bit. And I think it comes down to anything. It comes down to how much do you love the artist? How much do you love that artist's music if you're all in? Like, like I love the band Soul Asylum. Yeah. And I, I love going to see them play live because they're just a real – raw fun rock band with great songs and they put out a great record last year but they and i i love you know love going to clubs and seeing them and they couldn't tour it obviously and they did a live stream from uh that legendary club in minneapolis where they're from uh, first avenue i think it's called yeah, yeah great club and, and it was great it was great because it was totally live it was real it was just raw it it wasn't the same as being shoulder to shoulder watching them but it, it at least I got to hear some of the new songs played live. So it was that sort of thing. So some of them, you know, I've liked a lot. Some of them at not so much and been been hit or miss. But I totally get the necessity to do it. Uh, so you don't know what you're going to do with yours yet. Well, we know it's actually with a company called Sessions. We just don't have our release date yet. You know, we, we thought we were going to have it by now, but there's a little bit of 
hold up with Facebook and stuff, but uh, we're um, like I said, it's done, it's in the can, it's live, but we just don't have a release date. But it's probably going to come in the next two to three weeks. So tell me about the gospel truth again. It's out on Friday. It's your new record. I didn't realize it until you said it. Your first in almost twenty years. Uh, you have some. Uh, you, you've got Nikki Six on the record as well. Yes. Tell, yeah, tell me I about got, that. You know what's for you got me, some what's guests. great about making a solo record is I don't have to just use you know the same bass player and the same drummer on every song. And it's not that these guys aren't versatile enough to do it. It's just for me, it's fun. It's fun to. You know, if I have an idea for a song and I really want a hard-driving beat, I can have Kenny Aronoff play drums. You know, if I have a song that is a little more creative and is bouncy, I can have Stephen Perkins from, like, Jane's Addiction play drums. Matt Starr played on a lot. Uh, bass, I, I had, like, Nikki Six, my bass player, EJ Kurz, um, and Nikki. You know, so it's, it's nice to be able to collaborate with different people that way, once again, on a solo record, if you're in a band, you, you are, you know, you have to deal with what you had. But, like, my band guys, Troy Patrick Farrell plays drums and EJ plays bass. They, they played on a couple songs, too, to get that live feel that, that we're used to. But it, I didn't record the songs, like, all together, like, you know, ten songs. I kind of did one or two at a time, worked on it. And, you know, it probably took, like, a year for the whole record to be made, just because everybody's touring all the time. You just got to kind of get them when you can. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Tightwad is the name of the uh, the track that Nikki is on, and then as you mentioned, you got Stephen Perkins, Kenny. What Aronoff. a combination! Stephen Perkins and Nikki Six on the same song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Aronoff, I mean, I know Kenny's a Kenny's a monster as well. And there's a video now. You've got a video for a great track called "Rock and Roll Is Getting Louder." And watching the video, I absolutely saw some cameos in there. It was a lot of fun to see that. Talk a little bit about making that video. That was so much fun. I mean, obviously, I haven't made a video, you know, with the new budgets. <laughs> so it was a little tricky. And um, I basically wanted to go to all my favorite places around town, whether it was a cigar store, a record store, or a bar. And I thought it'd be easy to just have someone that worked there go just, you know, a, you know hey, can you do this part in the video? But it was a little tricky. Nobody really wanted, you know, some of them wanted to do it, some of them didn't. And I called Teddy Andriotis, who played keys with us in the GNR years, and when I was at a cigar store to make, you know, I go, dude, can you play this part? And then it just triggered it to go, oh, let's get Slim Jim Phantom to be at the guitar store. Let's get Tammy Down to be in the, at the pawn shop. My buddy Jimmy Harold from Hillbilly Harold at the record store. And it just kind of evolved while we were making it. But... It was definitely tricky to try to make a good video, you know, for, you know, like I said, restrained budgets that we have now. Yeah, it was fun seeing all those guys when I watched it, and, and I, I know them all, and it was cool seeing them in there. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Jimmy and this band, Hillbilly Herald, and I've known Jimmy for a long time. I know he's been working at it for a long time. You produced a record with, with that band, right? Yeah, we produced a major label record that didn't come out on the major label when it was all done. And where's the status of that now? I think that they're going to release it on uh, on the label that I'm working with, with Golden Robot. Uh, they're, they're, they did a live record in Hollywood at the Whiskey, which I uh, actually just mixed. I didn't really produce it. But, uh, yeah, the record was done, and it's wild. It's like, you know, the major label, they loved it. They were so happy, and when it came time to pick a release date, they were just like, <clears throat> I, they were honest with it. They just go, I don't know if we can really do justice to this. You know, we don't, you know, we're, we're not as good at rock as we used to be and you know the the landscape had changed from signing the band 
to when the record was done and ready to be released. And, you know, they, they gave the band an out, which, as you know, is pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Jimmy, I first met Jimmy through Slash, because uh, I guess Slash was the first guy to tell me about him. And then Jimmy called me. He's like, Slash gave me your number or something. He said to call you to try to help me with this. And he's been knocking around on that scene there for a while. And I've seen him open for Slash. And great guy, great band. And I, and I know it's tough out there, especially for these yeah. guys that don't yeah. have a history. I mean, you know, that don't have somewhere to hang their, their hat on a, on a past thing. And I know it's a difficult Difficult and it's time even hard for a lot with of them. that. You know, it's a it's yeah. a difficult terrain out there right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, no doubt. I mean, even even for you. I mean, you're talking about going out there to St. Louis, and I'm sure playing a club or something. I think there's a lot of people who'd be like, "Oh, Gilby Clark was in Guns and Roses, man. You know, he's going to play you know huge huge places." And it yep. just it doesn't <laughs> translate like that. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. No. I mean, I remember seeing Duff play with his band Loaded at a little club in Pennsylvania not long ago. And, you know, there was maybe 50, 40 people in there. And I was just like, everybody's like, well, that's the dude from Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. it's a weird thing. Don't you? I've always found it. It's a weird thing. I talk about this with my audience all the time. Like you could take a guy from like a mega band and then for whatever reason, just a tiny percentage of that band's fan base follows along. I've never quite understood why it works that way. Well, you know, it you know, you're you're a true fan like you know the details of the record of who produced the record, who's in the band, but as you know, that's a small percentage of the rock audience. You know, they yeah. don't know all these things. Like I said, they might know the 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 axle and the slash of the band. It, I find it hard to believe that they don't know Duff, but it does happen. And you know, we learned that when we went out with Slash the Snake Pit in 95, we literally opened for Bon Jovi at a stadium that we had played two years earlier, and we were like three bands before Bon Jovi. And we're playing some of Slash's new material, and, and, and the audience of 50,000, 60,000 people were looking at us like we were speaking French. Like, I found it hard to believe that a Bon Jovi audience really didn't know who Slash was. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. It's crazy to think about, but it, it actually does not surprise me at all. Yeah. You got anything else cooking beyond this record? I mean, you're always playing with some different people. Do you got anything else on the horizon? Um, actually, not really. Like I said, we're trying to get some Kings of Chaos dates together for, for the summer and fall. Um, that's something that's, that's going to be fun. And just like you said, like most people, I'm actually working on some new music. Being that I hadn't done a solo record in so long, that I love the experience again of writing songs and recording, you know, with my friends. And so I'm, I'm already working on some tracks. I mean, I don't know what that's going to lead to. There's some talk of doing a covers record, which I've never done before. And what's unique about this record, Eddie, is I've always put a couple of covers on every re solo record I made on this one. I didn't, it's all, you know, 10 original songs. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, I, I know you mentioned Tammy is in the video, uh, that that we just talked about a second ago. I spoke to him the other day, and I know we're uh, next month. I'm going to premiere the the new song. Uh, he he's taken he's <laughs> taken 20 years to to make a a song. <laughs> yep. So um yeah, I but I know you were involved in it, right? You mixed it. Yeah, I mixed it. I've been mixing a lot of their new stuff. You know, he has some other stuff uh, that that they've recorded besides the first single. But yeah, yeah, we're you know. Besides, I've known Tammy for a long time also. You know, we're motorcycle buddies, too. We've logged a lot of miles together. So, you know, when he 
started, you know, doing some new music for Fasty Pussycat. You know, I was just kind of, I, you know, just helping out, really, just, you know, trying to get the sounds together for him. Yeah, you know, I know he's worked on this hard, and I know he's been toiling on it for a really long time, and we spoke the other day, and um, I'm really ha- I mean, you've known him, like you said, for a very long time as well. I'm really happy for him and where he's at in his life and how he's turned a corner a few years ago. I mean, he's a completely different guy in terms of being sober and healthy. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was touch and go there for a while. So it's great healthy to see. And happy. Yeah. Healthy it's, and he's happy. a different guy. It's, I mean, he was never, he was always a great guy. He was always a yeah. fun guy, but he is a completely different guy to just to talk to and be around. Like you said, healthy and happy. It's really amazing. The one eighty he's done. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, obviously we're all proud of him. I was actually with him when when it happened, you know, when, when he first, you know, had, had the medical issues. I, we were in uh, Mexico on the Baja, and, uh, you know, he just he had to sit down and goes, I'm not feeling good. Like, this is not flu. This is, this is bad. So to see, like you said, what he's done with that is, it, it's inspiring to people. It's, it, and it's brave. It's really brave, man. That's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, this is a guy that, by his own admission, he partied his whole life and partied hard, hard. and partied every day. And I remember we were at uh, the festival M three, and that the the band rolled up, and he wasn't with them. And I said, "Where's Tammy?" And and he's in the hospital. I was like, "What?" So it all went down in Maryland, which was that final straw. Yeah. And then they finally got him back home. And I mean. You got to remember with him, for people that don't realize, not only was it booze, drugs, whatever, but it was also cigarettes. I mean, yeah. he did, he killed, he knocked everything out instantly with that scare that he had. Uh, yeah. Not an easy thing to do the way he did it. And uh, he's just such a, such a changed, better guy for it. I'm really proud of him. Yeah, I completely agree. So, all right, man. Well, I, I mean, uh, same old story for everybody. You're in a holding pattern waiting for the floodgates to open and you'll get out there with Kings of Chaos. And I imagine the idea would, you'd, you'd love to do some solo touring here, right? With this, with this record. Yeah. I'd love to get out there. Like I said, the band's kicking, um, you know, we're like, I said, we got together to do the streaming event and, and for this show and the band sounds good. And I'd like to, you know, play some new songs, you know, it's, you know, there was a lot of years there where, you know, the set list was kind of looking the same. And so it'd be nice to infuse it. And, you know, we added like three new songs in, in the set. And, yeah, I'm excited. I, I want to play in front of people and see how it goes. And the video for Rock and Roll is Getting Louder, the band you're using in that video that you see playing there, is that DeAnda on drums? That's Jimmy DeAnda. Yes, exactly. We should have mentioned good old Jimmy. Yeah, Troy was getting married the, the next day. When we were doing the video, so he wasn't available, and our good pal Jimmy DeAnda stepped in like a true champion and nailed those Kenny Aronoff parts. <laughs> yeah, so check that out because the video is a lot of fun, and you'll see those cameos in there uh, from Teddy Zigzag, and also, of course, uh, as you mentioned, Tammy and um, Slim, Jim. <laughs> Slim Jim is in there for a second. Uh, so definitely check it out. It's online now. The video for Rock and Roll is getting louder, and the album. The Gospel Truth is coming out again this Friday is available. Uh, Gilby Clark's first new solo album in almost 20 years. Have you hit any Lakers games? Uh, no. I mean, they just started uh, having people in, I think, like one or two games ago. So, um, you know, they hold on to our money, but <laughs> I haven't gone to a game yet. But, you know, they're going to make the playoffs again this year, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get to go to those games. There's reports. You know, I... I um. 
I bring that up because just to tell the audience, Gilby took me to a Laker game years ago, and we had a great time, and he's got tremendous seats there at Staples Center. But there are talks. You know, Gilby, I grew up, like, when I was really loving basketball, I was a New Jersey Nets fan. Now, of course, they play in Brooklyn. Yeah, And, uh, you know, by default, they're still my favorite team, even though I'm not nearly as into it as I was when they played in New Jersey. Yeah. But that being said, the the NBA pundits are predicting a Lakers-Nets finals this year. It's a very, you know, look, if, if the Lakers can get healthy and the Nets can get healthy, that's going to be an incredible se- series if that happens because those Nets are pretty freaking good. <laughs> But they have not been able to get their big three of uh, Durant, Harden, and Kyrie on the floor at the same time. And I think they've played all three. I think all three have been on the floor and in a game active like like uh, less than five times or something yeah, since yeah, they've like all been there. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, and, uh, you know, we just, you just don't know what's going to happen. But, yes, should they be able to pull that off, it could be pretty pretty interesting uh, battle there. So we'll see. But it's pretty tough all throughout the NBA this year. There's a lot of good teams. Like, everybody picked the Lakers. But, you know, this year's Lakers aren't last year's Lakers. I mean, of course, they have LeBron, which is, you know, an edge over everyone. And for me, you know, Cleveland Cavaliers were, were my favorite team before I switched to the Lakers. It was a win-win when he left Cleveland to come to L.A., so I was one of the rare people that, you know, was, was happy about that. <laughs> and one final thing, and then I'll let you run. Um, speaking of, you know, you play with Matt, obviously, in Kings of Chaos, but of your time in Guns N' Roses, I always wondered about this. Did you, do you have a personal highlight for you? Was there a personal highlight gig or moment in your time in that band that you think back on as, the, as your favorite time? I, I have a few, Eddie. Um, one of them that, that really stands out was when we went to London to play the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Because mm. for me, um, that was my first time uh, in, in England. So it was new to me, you know, just doing that. And also on the bill was all my heroes. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge David Bowie and Mick Ronson is, was always one of my favorite guitar players. To, so to see Mick Ronson and David Bowie play Heroes together, it was huge. I mean, besides, you know, us playing the show, just the whole surroundings and being part of, you know, backstage and being able to sit on the side of the stage with Joe Elliott watching David Bowie and Mick Ronson play, that was a a huge, huge highlight for me. Did you meet a lot of the people that day? Did you get a chance to talk to Bowie? I, I actually met Bowie, didn't talk to him, but I spent hours with Mick Ronson, his wife, his daughter, talking guitars and, you know, all the questions I ever wanted to ask him, I, I got to ask him because obviously he passed away a few years after that. Yeah. What was he like? As What was Mick Ronson like personally? He, very soft-spoken, um, but very, you know, kind of like some of those English guitar players, you know, just, just quiet, um, but was very open to talking. He wasn't reserved. Like you asked him a question and, you know, he, he responded honestly, you know, he didn't probably, you know, didn't offer things, but he was definitely happy that somebody, you know, that was on the bill there, you know, knew, you know, what he did. And, and like, he definitely loved the fact that I was a fan, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a great experience. What, when you, when you went from, uh, when you relocated to Los Angeles from Cleveland, what year was that? It was, uh, you, you may like this story, it was 77, and I saw Kiss in Cleveland, 
And then when I got to L.A., I saw Kiss in L.A. at the uh, Forum, and it was when they were filming the live show, and it was the night that he caught his hair on fire. And there was a great band that opened called Cheap Trick. (laughs) And I'll never forget this, and I've told Robin and Rick this a million times. I saw them, and I remembered their, their set so well that the next day I went to buy the record, and, and only the first record was available. In Color wasn't out yet. And I bought the record, and I'm listening to them going, wait a minute. These aren't all the songs they played. Like, I actually could remember from the night before that some of the songs they played weren't on the, on the record, that that record wasn't out yet. Wow. So you and I, I saw Kiss for the first time in 77, too, in December, and the opening act I had was Piper, which was Billy Squire's first band, which I still love to this day, those two Piper records, and I love Billy. But uh, I saw Piper. I did not get Cheap Trick in, in New York. Well, I actually saw Kiss's Destroyer tour in Cleveland before that. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm lucky. <laughs> Maybe a little the, the older re- than you two. <laughs> well, <laughs> I saw a guy at a show once. He had a T-shirt on. It said, uh, it said I may be old, but I saw a lot of cool shows. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what's crazy is, you know, I've, you know, I grew up with, you know, my father was a fireman. I, I didn't have money, but they knew I was such a huge fan of Kiss and Zeppelin and all that that, you know, my father took me to that Destroyer show, and when I got to the show, we had nosebleed seats, and my father actually bought from a scalper, like, a 10th row seat, but we could only buy one, and he let me sit in the 10th row while he was up in the <laughs> nosebleeds. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. No, the, the also, reason I have... uh, One last thing, Eddie. Yeah. Uh, that year, when I moved from Cleveland to L.A., I missed Zeppelin in Cleveland, and I missed Zeppelin in L.A., and I never got to see Zeppelin live. Oh, wow. The reason I was asking about what year you moved is because when, going back to Mick Ronson real quick, I, I always found when I saw uh, see footage and video or hear or see pictures of Randy Rhodes at his yeah. time in Quiet Riot, to me, he, he, was, he very much emulated Mick Ronson. What, did you see Randy early on and did you pick up on that? And, and I don't know, was Randy a big Mick Ronson fan? Uh, you know, I don't know that answer either, but I thought the same thing when, and I did see uh, Randy play Quiet Riot in the Starwood days, and I thought the exact same thing because he was. Uh, uh, matter of fact, there were shows where he played a, a, a white Les Paul, though Ronson's was uh, Maple. Um, I thought the exact same thing, and even through his Aussie years, I go, man. I mean, they don't play a lot alike, but I thought his image was very much. He looked like Mick Ronson. Totally, totally, yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, I'll leave you with this. As we're speaking, I got an email. I've been emailing with your old candy bandmate, Jonathan Daniel. Ah, there you go. And he, he sends his best. He said, I told him I was on the air talking to you, and he sends his best. He's a big-time artist manager these days, as uh, people in the industry are of, of managers these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, he sends his regards. So listen, man, it's great to talk to you as always. Everybody check out Gilby's record. Pick it up. It's out on Friday. It's called The Gospel Truth. You can go online and hear some uh, things and check out the video we talked about as well. Hope to be back out on, uh, to L.A. soon, Gilby. I'll, I'll hit you up, man. Always great to talk to you. Right on. Thank you so much, Eddie. Keep rock and roll alive and well. You got it, man. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye. My thanks to Gilby Clark. Always great to visit with him. Check out his new album out now. We'll come back and joined by interview number two, Damon Johnson, along with Nick Raskulinitz. That's next. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Welcome back, Eddie Trunk here, and our second interview this week is with guitarist, singer, songwriter Damon Johnson, Alice Cooper, Black Star Riders, Thin Lizzy, Brother Kane. Damon has a new album out called Battle Lessons, and joining him on the call is his producer, Nick Raskulinitz, with some great stuff as well. Enjoy. Hey, Nick, what's going on, man? Hey, Eddie, how you doing, man? I'm, good, uh, good. I'm hanging out in the studio. I just got done listening to Thunder in the East with the dudes in Skid Row, and we're, like, totally rocking out. Thun- the Loudness album, Thunder in the East? Yeah. Did you so guys awesome. just randomly call that up for inspiration? Well, we were talking about, like, the greatest rhythm guitar sounds ever, and I brought up the fact that I think that's one of probably in my top five greatest, like, guitar sounds ever. So we had to listen to the album on Stun, and it's such a great <laughs> album. It is. Akira Takasaki is a beast. He's still a beast. And that record still sounds great. That was Max Norman, I think, that did that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it, yeah. and uh, total nerd note, it was recorded at Sound City, which is a trip. Oh, is that right? That I did yeah. not know. Yeah. Uh, th- there's Nick. And, uh, and do we have Damon as well? Damon, you there? I'm here, buddy. Great to talk to you, Eddie. Always. Damon, you sound a mile away and really noisy on your phone connection. Well, let me see if I can fix that for you. Hold tight. Yeah, you do not sound uh, tough to hear you. How's that? that way better? better. Yes, way better. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I've uh, I've been able to navigate this entire year of the pandemic with hundreds of Zoom interviews, and uh, <laughs> every one of them on my on my Bluetooth ear pods, but I, I think on the radio it doesn't work so good. So yeah, radio, you really need to be holding that phone. Yep. For sure. So listen, man, Damon, congrats on the record. The record is out now. It's called battle lessons, Damon Johnson in the get ready and Nick, you produce the record. So Damon, we'll start with you to uh, talk about the process of making this record and was the plan to always uh, work with Nick on it. Well, the hope is always to work with Nick. Um, you know, we've, it's crazy to think that Nick and I met in 2000 and I guess it was 2014. And since then we've made five records together, which is kind of unheard of. Um, but yeah, man, I was on the road promoting my last solo record, Memoirs of an Uprising. And my four piece kind of became a trio and I immediately started loving that. And I think we did a run of dates with um, we did a run of dates with Clutch at the end of 2019, and then as you know, Eddie, we went out and supported UFO mm-hmm. uh, in February of 2020. And man, I just I, w- I had already written a batch of songs. You know, my headspace was to make a really riff-heavy rock record, like one I haven't made maybe since the first Brother Kane album, and. Um, you know, I always had in the back of my mind, I'd love to work with Nick anytime. But I also know from experience that, you know, for Nick to clear his calendar to produce anybody, they're going to have to show it with some great songs. So I put a lot of effort in into making some demos. And I think it was January that I first played him some of these songs. And I was thrilled, man. He immediately got excited. He said, man, I can tell you've stepped it up in the songwriting department. And um, I know he was knocked out with just the the quality of the songs and the tempo and the energy, and he knew we could knock it out, and, and we did, man. Nick's the best. 
Nick, is that as a producer and as one of the leading guys doing rock right now in, in producing, is that always the biggest criteria for you when you want to do a record or work with an artist is the material's got to be there that you got to feel the songs are there? Yeah, that's it. I mean, period. That's it. Is it tough to go to an artist and say, it's just not good enough yet. You got to come back with better stuff. I imagine that's kind of your role. You got to be able to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really hard, man. And, and, you know, believe it or not, as, as you know, forward and as honest as I can be sometimes, pretty much across the board, people are like, okay, you know, because I kind of present it as a challenge, too. And it's like, all right, this is okay, but, you know, this is great. You got one song that's really, really great. Now, all the rest of them need to be this good or better, you know, when you're, when you're work, looking across a whole album. So the quality has to be there, you know, the song's, I want to hear them again as soon as they're over. And if I don't want to hear it again by the time it's halfway through or by the time it's over, if if I don't feel that reaction immediately, I mean, that's how I gauge everything on. Yeah, and for you, Damon, how did you, uh, in terms of the writing, talk about that process? Because you, there's a few things on here that you wrote yourself, but for the most part, you wrote with some other people or you had at least one other person writing with you on the material. So talk about how the songs on Battle Lessons came together and how you, you crafted it and the process. Yes, I wrote most of these songs with my old friend and longtime collaborator, Jim Troglin, and... Uh, Jim's a friend from the Birmingham club days. We wrote most of my last record together and we've just been, he's been a major factor in my life for a long time. And, um, you know, Eddie, I just had developed a lot of confidence over the last two or three years, you know, focused on my solo thing full time. I've been listening to a lot of great new music, um, you know, and again, in the band being on the road touring and performing for just straight ahead rock crowds, I know that was a big factor in kind of where my headspace was with the writing. And, you know, again, man, I got to give some credit to Nick because he's sort of in the back of my brain anyway. You know, we've, we've worked so much together over the last six years that, you know, I'm thinking about the arrangement. I'm thinking about the vocal melody. Is this a good melody? Am I, is this lyric great? You know, is it not just good enough? Is this great? Is this going to capture his attention? And, you know, again, when I, you know, when we got together, uh, I'll never forget, man, standing out on the back. It was like the back porch of his studio in Nashville. He was about to start a session with another band. And I I texted him. I said, Hey man, can I stop by? I just need 15 minutes. (laughs) You know? So, I gave him my headphones and I, and I hit play and the very first song, he gave me a thumbs up. He goes, what else you got? I played him something else. I got another thumbs up. So, you know, that gave me the juice at that point, Eddie, to go back in and finish up two or three other songs I had laying around. And and we kind of started from there. And, uh, you know, the unique thing about the story of the making of this album in the studio is that we had already determined that we were going to record these songs in groups of three. Again, Nick had a lot going on with his calendar, so we were going to kind of treat it that way. And I was and I was fine with that. So we went into the studio the first week of March and started tracking. And as we all know from the calendar, you know, March 15th was essentially the day that the entire country went into lockdown. 
and Nick, I know you remember this, man. I was standing out in the vocal, you know, in the vocal room. We're working on a vocal, and I'll never forget him coming over to talk back. And he said, "Hey, man, the NBA just canceled their entire season." <laughs> and you know, we were like, "Oh, yeah. okay. Well, this is getting really serious." So we knew it was going to affect the calendar and the schedule and all of that, but we could have never dreamt that, you know, the coronavirus was going to be the major impact that it was. Um, you know, we didn't get back in the studio again until I think it was June or July to do the, the second batch of three. So the recording process of the entire Battle Lessons album was, <laughs> I think I speak for Nick, it was definitely the most unique, uh, you know, the most unique calendar experience ever. Yeah. Nick, know, anything you want to add on that? Yeah, we had to work around the pandemic and, you know, my, my schedule and everybody's schedule. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say too, Eddie, you know, as soon as, you know, Damon, as soon as I heard those songs Damon was playing me, you know, I was like, okay, you've definitely upped your game, you know, just from the few songs, that initial listening session, and, you know, Damon's really been able to focus on his writing and, and his own band and his own thing for, you know, a good solid couple of years now. And I felt that immediately in the songs. And, you know, I think the discussion after the first, you know, I think it was Clap Any Louder. And I can't remember what the other two were, Damon, but I looked at him and immediately was like, it's on. Give me six more, seven more that are just like this and better. And, you know, sure as shit, over the course of the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, he just started feeding me these songs, man. And it was it was really great, man, because, you know, we, we have recorded so much together throughout time that, you know, to do it again and again and again, we really got to keep up in our game every time. And, and Damon just really brought it to the table this time. So it was super exciting. And that energy flowed through, even though we had to wait months before you know in between the sessions that energy just held through the whole time because you know i knew we had these great songs and he knew we had these great songs and we loved them so it was you know and we both live in the same town and we have access to a studio so we just kind of had to bite our lip for a minute and you know ride it out for a second but in hindsight i think it, it worked out even better because damon came in with some new songs at the very end you know that we didn't have back in march or april or may or june or july so, you know, I think it happened. I think it all turned out great. You, you know, it's funny, Damon, you were saying that you had to do, you did all the songs in groups of three. So that would explain why there's nine songs on the record. So you did three, <laughs> you did three sessions, uh, you know, so I guess the answer was it was either going to be a nine track record or a 12 track record, right? You're, you're very good with math. Eddie Trump, congratulations. <laughs> Only um, if it's counting to yeah. 10, Damon. After that, I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it worked out, brother. And, you know, there were there were definitely other songs on my desk. You know, there were, there were other songs that I had written. But, you know, man, I started thinking back to my favorite records from, especially like the late 70s, man, those Aerosmith records, Rocks and Toys in the Attic and like Van Halen 2. You know, man, those were all eight, nine song records. And I've, I, I think there's something really cool about that. I, I think my songwriting kind of speaks for itself. I've been doing it a long time. My, my fan base knows I'm capable of writing as many songs as they want. But there was an energy about these nine songs as a collection. Um, you know, and I have to say, 
it was only at the 11th hour that we even added the there's one song that is basically just an acoustic track and if that song hadn't have been as strong as it was then who knows eddie it may have just been an eight song record but nick was like yeah i love this one too let's let's track this so yeah man um, are you talking are you talking about love is all you left behind that track yes love is all yeah. you left behind and that's a great track right so you the, almost left that off huh I definitely well, it was, it almost was, left was that rock, off. It was kind of a rock song, and it was kind of big and ballady sounding. And <laughs> I remember looking at Damon like, no, dude, let's just do it with acoustic guitar and vocals. <laughs> well, remember that. Eddie, you'll love this. The, oh, I totally remember that. And the other thing, I mean, this is just, this is how Nick actually... uh, Sounds like Damon's oh, cap, phone's j- dropping out there. Damon, you there? I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're back now. Yep, we hear you now. Sorry, guys. Um, I played Nick my demo for Love Is All You Left Behind, and it played the first verse, a chorus, second verse, a chorus, and then it kind of kept going. And he just stopped me. He goes, it's a little long. That's the first thing he said. It's a little long. And that's like classic (laughs) Nick, because he doesn't... there can be no dead weight. Like he said earlier, you know, if he doesn't want to hear it again after he gets halfway through the song, you know, that means the song isn't there. So, you know, credit to him for kind of saving that track because I was kind of on the fence about it anyway. But when we, when we went in and mic'd up the acoustic, we added some Mellotron to it and he completely cut the arrangement in half and it was exactly what it needed there. It was definitely too long originally. And there's a track on this record I, w- I like a lot, too, that I wanted to ask you about, and that is uh, is Shadow Country. I think that's a really cool song. And I also love the intro piece to that, which almost sounds like it's very – like that – What I don't – I'm not a musician, and you could tell me what the sound is there, but it's uh, – it's almost Sabbathy in, in, in the in the little piece before it, before the song kicks in. It was, I just thought it was a really cool song and really cool dynamics to it as well. Eddie, thank you, brother. Um, I'm I'm anxious for Nick to talk about that song a little bit because that is the one song that was written after we started the record. That song was the result of Nick saying, "Hey, man, we got this downtime now." Don't stop writing. Let's see if we can come up with something else that's as good as these other songs. And Eddie, I will never forget sitting at my desk with my little computer setup that I make my demos on. I knew Nick was going to flip out when he heard Shadow Country. Uh, It came together really fast. It's got that heavy tempo change in the middle. Uh, It is the single most sabbathy thing i guess i've ever done there i've lo- i've loved black sabbath my whole life i would never have said they're really an influence on my songwriting or my i own. just meant the but, intro piece i just meant this the, the music the, you know this the in the, the beginning of the song really yeah yeah well nick can speak to what that effect was because i know he knows what you're talking about um and nick you you were a fan of shadow country as soon as i played you the demo yeah, those the riffs and the vocal and that hit hit me immediately when you when you sent me that demo. I mean, that song is I think that's like one of the coolest songs on the record. Just the nature of the riff. Yeah, Eddie, that intro thing, man. Yeah, you know, I, I don't completely remember what it was to be honest with you. I know it's some guitar stuff that we like. 
I think we made it backwards and put effects on it. I'd have to hear it again to, to know exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, the, to the, even though this is a new record to most of us, as you talked about, it was done a, a while ago, and, and just like so many artists, there was the, there's always the big debate. Uh, people who have made records during the, the, the pandemic or at the beginning of it, finished records, there's tons of artists that I think sat on their records thinking, well, this will be over in a month. And then when this went on and on and on, and it's unfortunately still going on to some degree, they just were like, you know what? I've already written another record. I got to get this thing out. And they just, you know, there, there was a big conflict, I think, about that with a lot of artists. You know, should should we put it out? Should we sit on it? I mean, Rob Zombie just put out his record. I know he sat on it for a year and a half. ACDC sat on their record for a long time. And then eventually it's just like, well, I got to put it out. I mean, I, I talked to Roger Glover from Deep Purple. He said they already wrote another record in the time they were waiting to put the last one out. So it's just, you know, people trying to figure this all out. That Nobody saw this coming. Nobody knew how to deal with it. And everybody just doing the best they could with it. And, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the release approach and the promotion prospects, you just had to weigh what made the most sense, I would think. In my opinion, I think first and foremost, bands are recording artists. You know, and they should be recording and writing their songs and putting them out. And when the touring happens, then the fans will get to hear all those kick-ass songs they've recorded on one or two albums while everybody's sitting around waiting. That's just my opinion. Nick, as a producer, during this whole pandemic, have you, you've made records. Have you had all the bands in the studio physically doing it? Or have you been in any of those situations where you worked virtually or over Zoom with an artist? Man, I've honestly, Eddie, I've done it both ways. I've, you know, last year when everything was a lot hotter than it is now, it was more of a one-on-one, you know, but I still had bands in the studio. We're all just being careful. You know, luckily I'm working with a lot of great bands who are great people and we're all like-minded and everybody's cool with wearing a mask and we keep the studio really clean. And, you know, I have been working through this entire thing pretty much and we haven't had a problem. You know, the session I'm doing right now, I got, I'm, you know, I got five dudes down there all playing right now. I can hear them in the background and everybody's got a mask on and everybody's five or six feet away from each other. You know, luckily I have a big enough studio to where nobody has to be on top of each other and my engineer roll room by himself, you know, so we're all, we're all pretty separate and we're all real careful. And the session you're doing now, that's Skid Row, right? Yeah. Snake yep. Snake has got more diseases and viruses on him <laughs> from the decades that COVID would laugh at him, Nick. COVID, having that guy in your studio, is COVID's the least of your concerns, and you can tell him I said that. Dude, we've got him all the way on the other side of the room with like one of those plexiglass. You should. You should have him in a body condom. Uh, yeah. Eddie, Eddie Chuck, <laughs> is there... Is there a rock musician under your umbrella that deserves more grief than Dave Snake Sabo? No. Yes or no? No. no. God, no. You get and, the, and the reason the reason for that is he dishes it out yes. more than anyone else I've ever met in my three decades in this business. He's yes, he's the best. Yeah. Yes. I agree on all fronts, Damon. Yes, absolutely. I mean, those guys are buddies for forever from back in the days when they all used to, you know, live, live down the street or live in the area. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to what you cook up with them, Nick. That should be a lot of fun. And, the, and, you know, and one last thing on this. So when I hear this record, 
One of the other things I like about it so much is I, you know, I love, you know, live feeling rock music. I love, it sounds like people were in a room and played in and plugged in and played live. Now, Damon, you got a great band we should give uh, mention to, including uh, an, another buddy, Jared, of course, Jared Pope on drums and Robbie Harrington on bass, who I don't know, but obviously great player as well. When you, when you go in and when you did this record, was it was it how it sounds to me where you actually all went in and set up and played and really went for that live feel or was it put together virtually no we definitely you know it was only three of us and nick we were able to get in that same room everybody spaced out we got on the headphones the amazing thing about jared and robbie was that you know i sent them basically iphone demos you know of the songs eddie and they did some preparation, and they showed up at the studio, and the first time we ever played them together was in front of Nick. And, you know, we just kind of worked out the arrangements there on the spot. Nick always shows up, you know, with his notepad, and he's making some changes to the arrangements that I had originally written. And, you know, they're both Jared and Robbie are such pros, man. You know, they, they dove right in. And I do think the other advantage was we, are, we were only doing three songs at a time. So they weren't having to show up with, you know, 10 or 12 songs prepared. Uh, they could just focus on those three. But I really appreciate you commenting on the feel of the songs in the record, because to me, that's the, that's the magic of Nick Raskulinix. That's the thing that Nick has done with every band he's ever worked with. And it doesn't matter what subgenre of rock they're in. It always sounds like a band playing together and feeding off of each other, but he does it in such a way that every single sound is getting a focused attention. Jared Pope's drums have never, ever sounded better than they sound on this record. Um, this was Robbie Harrington's first experience recording with Nick, and i got to be honest, Robbie was a little nervous about coming in to work with Nick because Nick's a he's a big name in the rock business you know he Robbie had records that Nick had produced and was a fan of his work but he'd never been in the in the room with him so uh and just like I knew would happen Nick immediately put his mind at ease and you know, we had a great time putting all the songs together but I think the other thing that's part of why the record feels like that and really all of Nick's records feel like that, Eddie, is he uses real amplifiers. He's using real drums. Um, you know, not that he would turn a, a blind eye to using some technology or loops or, you know, sampled sounds at some point, but, you know, man, certainly the Get Ready is a band. You know, Skid Row's a great band. And, you know, after yeah, talking to Rachel once, they worked with Nick. You know, he said to me, he goes, man, we've never made a record like this. Like, this guy is incredible. The, the guitar players have never been happier about their sounds, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, for the for the record, we're, you know, for Damon's record, we recorded as much as it, as we could live at it. I mean, him and Jared and Robbie are all playing together when we're recording the drums, you know, and then we, you know, kind of go back over and, and re-record some, sure. some of the parts, better sounds. So, you know, that live feel you're feeling is because those dudes are all playing. I mean, it, yeah. it goes to tape that way. Yeah, well, you can tell. You can feel it, and as a fan, I can feel it and hear it, and I appreciate it. I love it. I mean, I love when you could, you, you know, I just love that live rock and roll feeling, man. I feel like you're in the, you're in that room with that band playing. That's that's great when that comes across like that. And that's tell you too. You know, that's just not them playing the song once or twice or three times. I mean, we play it 
20 times to get those takes and we'll cut between the takes the best verse from this take the best chorus from that take and we'll put the song together just like we used to do with giant pieces of two inch tape that were lying all over the floor <laughs> yeah some people are starting to do that again too though because we all know what's old is new again uh, you got bands putting out records on cassettes it's 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 crazy it's the anything goes out there uh for sure damon uh before we wrap up give everybody an update on what you're up to you know there are are some live shows starting to happen a little bit there are some small tours there's our weekend warrior stuff uh, it's starting to happen in certain parts of the country have you been able to line up some live gigs eddie i'm really thrilled to share with you today is the actual day that we announced our very first show for 2021 and ironically it's back at my favorite venue that we were scheduled to perform in March of last year, and as you remember, two weeks before the pandemic, Nashville was devastated by a tornado. So that venue is the legendary Basement East, and the Basement East had been leveled by the tornado, and they took all of the rest of 2020 to, uh, to put it back together, and they've just announced a handful of socially distanced, um, you know, covid friendly shows and uh damon johnson and the get ready will perform at the basement east on thursday night april the 29th and we are over the moon about it man and there's a few other things starting to come together um you know into the summer and into the fall and you know and honestly eddie i kind of felt like that was the other good reason for putting my record out let's get the record out and then because we're a trio because you know, we're not a giant band like Guns N' Roses or Kiss. You know, we can get out there and get busy as soon as it's safe to do so mm -hmm. uh, because we're not some big giant entourage. And, and we're starting to kind of see the, the, the productivity of that. So, uh, you know, man, we're dying to get back up the East Coast. And, um, you know, my little team is working hard. And uh, my manager, Kevin Lee, who says to tell you hello, by the way, Eddie. Um, you know, they're hard at work, man. And... You know, the record speaks for itself. It's it's a great tool to kind of help us get out there and and just submit ourselves for some opening slots on tours and some of our favorite music venues like the Basement East. Well, keep everybody keep an eye and, and send my best to Kevin. Everybody keep an eye on DamonJohnson.com for information and his dates come out or Damon on social media as well. And you can see and you know, things are going to be moving around a lot. I think the rest of this year, as far as happening, not happening and all that. So more important than ever to connect with the artists and the people you want to follow and keep up with what's going on on social media. Uh, Nick, beyond having to deal with snake for the foreseeable future, what else do you have planned? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to do this with these guys and then I'm going to get back into Hailstorm, and we're going to okay. finish that album up. And I'm going to get back and finish Skid Row. And then I've got a couple other bands I'm talking to about starting records with in the summer and into the fall. So hopefully it's going to be uh, another good, busy year of rock, man. You're just getting started with Skid Row now? Yeah, we're just doing the pre-production, man. We've got three burners, man. You're going to be stoked. I'm so stoked. I'm so excited about these songs right now. And they're down there working on the fourth song right now. So uh, we've been having a great time, man. They're awesome dudes. Just, I've never had so much Tom's River, New Jersey in my studio at one time. <laughs> 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 Smells like the Jersey Shore in the studio all of a sudden. 
Yeah, but the, but no, but none of them live there anymore. They all bailed. I mean, I'm still there. I'm still in the area, but they all bailed. I mean, Rachel comes back every once in a while, but there's some snakes out on Long Island now, and Scotty went west coast. Everybody's like scattered. It's not, you know, they they'll, you know, we'll always have between us and them. We'll always have that Jersey bond, but they they, I'm still here paying the exorbitant taxes. They got smart and left. <laughs> then again, where they where then again where Scotty is, he's probably you know I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy living in California with that what they pay out there. But um, anyway, you know, yeah, great people. I, we bust each other's balls mercilessly because we've known each other forever, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you cook up with them and the Hailstorm record. So you you did some stuff with them, and now that's on hold, and you're going to swing back to them after the Skid Row pre production. Yeah, we're just taking a break right now for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to get back into it. And uh, we've already Lizzie's already written like four songs during the break, so we're all super stoked to get back into that and get it going, man. We're going to have a great record this year. Man, Vicious was my favorite record so far that they made. I loved that record, so that's the benchmark for me to to beat. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Also, great people, and I love you know love all of them. And Lizzie's the best, so that must be a lot of fun to be uh, working on that record. Yeah, everything, man. I mean, you know, getting to work with Damon last year and, you know, all the other stuff I worked on, you know, and again, I'm, I'm so proud of Damon and his everything he brought to the table this time. And I hope the fans really love this record like I do. And I know he does. And, you know, let the healing begin, man. That's, I think that's probably my favorite song on the album, that and clap any louder. So put those on and crank them, man. Brace for Impact's another one I like a lot. Hey, there's only nine tracks on it. We named five or six, so there you go. It's a pretty solid record, right? <laughs> Continuing what we went through. Hey, Damon, one more quick thing before I let you go and let and let Nick go. Um, but I, I wanted to. I, I think I asked you about this before. But every time I tell my audience that I'm going to have you on, they ask me to ask you this question about the elusive, never that came out, damn Yankees record that you were going to be a part of as Tommy Shaw's replacement. What, what can you tell us about that? And do you think that it'll ever actually see the light of day and come out? Yeah. Um, I can't believe you and I've never spoken about that. I would have well, I think we, we did. I, well, I think we did off air and maybe on one of my other shows, but people always still ask me about it when they hear me say your name because it's kind of like this this thing that's out there that people have always heard about, but nobody's ever actually heard. Well, yeah, man, it happened. Uh, this was in 2000 and uh, the year 2000. And indeed, Tommy Shaw was not able to participate in the new record that they were scheduled to make with John Kalodner on Columbia Records because Tommy had just acquired the rights to the name Sticks. You remember, Eddie, they had just parted ways with Dennis DeYoung. So Tommy gave the band his blessing to, you know, look around and maybe bring in somebody else and make the record. He'd already co-written some songs with Jack, and so those were still kind of part of the equation. I already knew all those guys previously. Anyway, Kalodner was a big fan of a batch of songs I had written around that time. So he was really really the one that brought me in. Ted was excited because he always was a Big Brother Kane supporter. We had done shows with him. And we worked on that thing, man, for about three months. Uh, went in and recorded it. Tommy came back in and sang some background vocals on some of his songs. Man, we had a, I had a great time. It was a great experience. And then when we got the record mixed and got it back, I think we were just all kind of underwhelmed. And by that point, 
we were running out of time. Ted had a tour booked. Night Ranger had a tour booked. Michael Cardelloni had to get back on the road with Leonard Skinner. And we just all sort of said, well, hey, we'll revisit it another time. And here we are 20 years later, and uh, <laughs> we've never revisited it. And, you know, look, man, it's their band. It's their record. If, if that thing ever sees the light of day, that'll be up to them. I will tell you this. Some of the songs have turned up on various solo records. Jack Blades put out a, a really good solo record shortly after that. And there was a song he and I wrote called We Are The Ones. Um, I think that was in a television show for a little while. And uh, I know Ted put a couple of the songs on, on his record. So it was a great experience, man. And, uh, you know, whenever I see those guys, it's always hugs and high fives. And um, it was definitely a random experience that I never would have anticipated. But it was a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it'll see the light of day. Maybe it gets a Nick Raskill in its remix and, and comes out at some point. What do you think, Nick? You could dig into that. Oh, my God. That's what it needs is a Nick Raskulinix remix. Great idea, Eddie. <laughs> Find the masters. F- Let's go. I'm full of ideas. Yeah, don't don't get me started. All right, guys. It's great to talk to you both. Damon, congrats on the record. Damon Johnson in the Get Ready Battle Lessons. It's out now, DamonJohnson.com. Uh, Nick Rasculin, it's also on social media. You can find him if you can learn how to spell his last name, and you'll find him on there. And, uh, and Nick, of course, uh, good luck with the Skid Row guys, and uh, send them all my best. I will, Ed. Good, great to talk to you, as always. Congratulations, Damon. And, dude, come by the studio sometime. We're totally rocking your Saldano. you got to hear it. I'm coming by soon. But then, he'd need, then he'd need to see Snake, and who means he really needs to do that, yeah. you know? Yeah, just let me just let me know when Snake is not there, and I'll come by. Eddie, Eddie Trunk, you are the ambassador of rock, my friend. Um, you know, I know you've heard it before, but I speak for so many people, brother. Thank you for giving us all a platform and for waving the flag. And it's always a, a real honor, man, to be on your show. Thanks for having. I me. appreciate it. Thank you for saying that, man. Thank you so much. You guys be well. I'm going to get down there to Nashville sooner than later. I'm going to do like two weeks of shows with all the people that I know there at this point. So we'll we'll reconvene soon, hopefully. Okay. I love it. Thank you, brother. Can't wait. To see all right. You. See you, Damon. Take care, Nick. Well, thanks to Damon and thanks to Nick and thanks earlier to Gilby Clark for joining us this week on the podcast. As I said at the top, this is the final podcast on Podcast One, and we thank them and I thank them for their support and for producing this podcast and bringing it to you each and every week. Starting next Thursday, another all-new episode, and again, it will be available on all the usual platforms, totally free, as usual, with the exception, the only thing changing next week is, again, if you access this podcast through the podcast1.com site or their app, it will no longer be available there. So please move over to Apple, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, and you can hear it and download it there for free. Big thanks to Katie, as always. We talked about her earlier at the top of the podcast. Connect with me on social media, at Eddie Trunk. Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com. I'm also on Cameo if interested in a personalized video. Have yourselves a great week. Catch you next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 